How's it going, everybody? This is Andy McCullough from The Athletic here with Mark Carrig, also from The Athletic. You are listening to Beyond the Scrum, a show about baseball. Mark, how's it going, man? I'm doing well, Andy. How are you? I'm okay. I am okay. I see your hair is uh, fine. Awful. It's awful. It's fine. I don't, I don't know. know. It's pretty bowl cutty. Ouch. Well, what, I mean, what? You got a head shaped like a bowl. I forgot that I don't have a hat on. Dang it. Yeah, it's a, it's a bad look. That's not it's the best. It's a bad look. Not the hey, best. we got a fun one today. We have a very special guest, uh, former GQ cover model <laughs> and also third baseman for the New York Mets, David Wright will be on. He has a new book out called The Captain. It was written with uh, your friend and mine, Anthony DiComo. It's a autobiography. Uh, we're going to talk to David a lot about uh, the book, uh, the process behind the book, um, You know, the time you burned him uh, in the clubhouse <laughs> when uh, he bullied Noah Syndergaard, uh, lots of other stuff. So that'll be coming up shortly. But first, it's uh, it's Monday afternoon. Guess what happens tomorrow, Mark? Oh, baby, it's the playoffs. Variants marketed as fun. Yes. I love variants. You like variants? I like variants. You know what? I will say this. Um, I think given the circumstances, I'm I'm really looking forward to watching the games tomorrow. Yeah. Um, I think that the sport has done a decent enough job answering the moral questions about the testing and whether they're exposing uh you know players and coaches and staffers to real risk it's shown that they can keep guys safe um there's still obviously going to be uh you know there's a larger question about the ethics of doing it in general but since it's going to happen um i think it will be uh, I think it'll, uh, you know, I think we might as well enjoy it. Like, the, you know, the, this tournament's going to be ridiculous, but, like, it's going to be cool to watch Bieber and Cole tomorrow night, right? Yeah. You know? Yeah, like, no, for sure. For sure. I think these matchups are intriguing. Like, I, I you know, and the seeding is weird, right? Like, I think we're, we're used to seeing seeding that reflects the actual quality of the team. And, you know, like... We, like, for instance, the Padres are not the four seed, okay? Like, they're the two seed. They should be the two seed, but they're not right. because of this setup. So I think that creates a lot of interesting matchups. And, and so, yeah, I, I kind of – I'm with you, man. Like, there's – we can think about all that stuff, and that's all valid that comes along with this. And we've talked yeah. about all that before. And, and I think that should be part of the conversation. But uh, the other part of it is, like, it's – kind of I'm, I've embraced the fact that it is bizarre and odd and weird and, and chaotic and it'll be fun my birthday's Wednesday like both leagues are playing I think baseball starts at noon and just goes on all day um, that's kind of cool to be honest to be able to spend a day like that so um, no I'm looking forward to it I'm just kind of curious like who, who are your upset specials if any in this bracket I mean I don't have I mean to be honest I don't have any because I took almost all chalk uh, actually, that's not true. I have the Yankees in the World Series, which I guess is an upset. Um, which isn't that weird to say? But given I mean, the way guess, they've, like, they've looked, they've looked like that though, right? They haven't looked like a well, team. Well, they're not that... a particularly good team in terms of like you know scoring more runs than the other team and winning games. <laughs> but like <laughs> I, you know, I like they have a ton of talent. Um, I you know kind of I I do think Garrett Cole is going to be a real factor. Um, I think they're going to beat Cleveland because Cleveland just is – I just don't see them hitting enough to do it. Um, I would kind of bet on Aaron Judge being a pretty significant factor. And, you know, LeMahieu and Void have been really good. And, 
you know, the lineup is, is fairly deep. So I don't know. I mean, like, whatever. Like, you know, you can – I probably should have just picked, you know, Dodgers-Rays, but instead I picked, you know, Dodgers-Yankees. I, I, who knows? The Dodgers right. – like, so here's the thing, right? The Dodgers are on pace to win 116 games, right? Mm-hmm. And the Milwaukee Brewers have not spent a day above 500 mm-hmm. this year. And the Brewers have, like, a 35 to 40% chance of knocking the Dodgers out. Mm-hmm. Who the hell knows what's going to happen? No, that's true. Nobody does. And that's uh, the chaos part of it. You know, that's why the Miami Marlins and all the stuff they've gone through, um, I got them going through. I got them getting through the first round. They got the Cubs. And, uh, you know, like, and and look, and that's the thing. Like, yeah, this is all random or whatever. But when I say the Cubs, you had this look on your face like, oh, okay. Like that. And, and when you look at like where they're at right now, and, and we yeah. know that there's lots of things that you can factor into this, but the bottom line is one of those teams look like looks for, like it's been up and down, up and down all year long, and the other one keeps like getting up after it's been knocked down. And by the way, Sixto Sanchez is thrown. Like that's, uh, I mean, okay. that's what, what, wait, what's that? We're not doing this. We're not. Yeah, <laughs> the, the guys had like four good starts. We're not doing. This. Oh. Yeah, I, I, I'm in. But anyway, um, no, the playoffs will be fun. But, like, yeah. you know, I'm looking forward to the interview today. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we're going to we're gonna get to David Wright now. It should be fun. And uh, please rate and review the show on iTunes. And, yeah, we'll get to David Wright after a short break. Well, we're joined now by our guest, somebody that Andy and I know a little bit, um, describes himself as, quote, a mostly boring, cliche-giving, sometimes moody third baseman for the New York Mets. And now he's an author, by the way. Uh, the Captain, a memoir, will be out in a couple of weeks, I think October 13th. It's David Wright. What's up, David? If that doesn't scream, go buy the book. I don't know what does. <laughs> Dude, you wrote that. I was quoting you. Yeah, I know. That might, that might be... The single worst introduction that I've ever received on a on an interview call. So I appreciate that. Oh, I was gonna—is that worse than like like getting introduced at like Citizens Bank Park in two thousand seven? Like, which would you rather? Do? Give me Citizens Bank every time. I mean, that was uh, that, I, I was that was cringeworthy listening to, to that introduction. <laughs> I quoted you. My yeah, gosh. That, that's self-deprecating. That's not for like public use, you know what I mean? You put it, it you in, published is it. it. <laughs> <laughs> this is like what? the ultimate role reversal right now. Are we at your locker? Uh, like <laughs> right. Charles Barkley? You know how books My go. goodness. Oh, got it, got it. <laughs> David, how are you, first of all? I'm doing great. Thank you guys. Just doing uh doing good. Just uh you know, obviously grinding away and um you know trying to be you know somewhat of a of a good father and, and husband out here and uh, you know just trying to, to to get my girls to to listen to me so you know just um normal stuff <laughs> right on like i i just wanted to start with this like the most obvious question david um how did you end up writing a book what brought you uh to this point you know what that's a great question um Shortly after I was done playing, um, I played my final game. Uh, Anthony Decomo um, approached me and said he was interested in, in doing something. And, you know, I kind of thought he was joking at first. So I laughed. And he said, no, really. Um, you know, I'd like you to be a, a big part of it. 
you know, so I said, I, you know, I need some time to think about it, you know, exactly what I want to do. And, you know, the more I thought about it, the more, um, you know, I kind of told myself, you know, before Anthony kind of screws this thing up, you know, let me get involved and <laughs> make sure that, you know, it's, it's hopefully done the right way. And, um, you know, Anthony was, was great throughout the process and, you know, it was a lot of fun as players, you know, I, I never got the chance to kind of sit back and enjoy a good game or to, you know, look at what I did yesterday and kind of pat myself on the back a little bit and getting a chance to write this book allowed me to reminisce and go down memory lane and, you know, think about the good times and the good games and, um, you know, quotes that, teammates said or or quotes that you know childhood friends that Anthony you know interviewed said or or family members and um you know one of the coolest things was I had to pick out I got to pick out 30 or so pictures for the middle of the book and I called my dad in Virginia I said dad you know and my mom and I said hey I need I need all my I need pictures you know can you send me some pictures thinking that they would kind of go through them you know give me a hundred or so to choose from and then I'd go from there well, you know, my dad's cheap. So he FedEx ground, you know, <laughs> four huge like suitcases full of pictures that show up on my front door. So I spent weeks going through these pictures, but it was so awesome to reminisce, you know, family pictures. All you know, My grandparents have passed, but, you know, pictures of my grandparents hold me as a kid, pictures of my grandparents and my father teaching me how to play baseball for the first time in the backyard with this huge wooden bat. Uh, you know, my grandfather and my father telling me, you know, pictures of me in the pool. My grandfather had a pool because Greg Jeffries did it as a kid, swinging a bat underwater, you know, so it's kind of <laughs> cool to, to reminisce and kind of go through the pictures and the storytelling and, you know, kind of try to relive some of those cool moments of my career. As you, um, like, as you got past, you know, like age, I don't know, 25, age 30, like, as you kind of established yourself as a, as a star in, in the majors, I mean, did you ever take the time to think about like enjoying it? more or was it just the nature of the beast that you kind of you can't really like rest on any achievements or anything like well andy not for nothing i was an all-star at 23 so you're a few years short of you know you're giving me less credit than i think i deserve (laughs) well lots of guys look lots of guys make one all-star team Uh, um, okay but to answer your question what was your question again i i I was just thinking of that the entire time (laughs) never mind this is like i mean i've this is just a time warp to 2011 i don't need this i'm a grown man i don't need this shit No, just like the the uh, just the idea, like what you talked about, you know, when you you were getting a chance to like sort of you know enjoy the good games, enjoy the the good times. Like, were you aware of that in the moment that you weren't not that you weren't enjoying it, but that you were you know fixated on the next day or that sort of no, thing? No, I don't think that. The one time that I can remember, and a lot of it probably had to do with my my back diagnosis, where, where I sat back and I tried to enjoy every moment was the 2015 World Series. I would say everything, and I wish I would have, everything before that, I don't think I soaked it in and enjoyed it as much as I should have um, for, di- for different reasons. In, in 2006, we were a couple runs away from going to the World Series. And my mindset as a, you know, what was I, 23, 24 years old at the time, was this was going to happen every year. You know, we got a good young core. We're going to go to the playoffs every year. So, you know, this is just the, the first step. Um, you know, needless to say, you know, nine years in between playoff appearances, I wish I would have enjoyed that first one more. But I think that, you know, 2015 was different because I got this incredibly disheartening diagnosis um, with my back. Um, And eventually it would end my career. At the time, I didn't think that way. But, 
you know, I sat there at the World Series and, and I was fortunate I hit a home run in game three and running around the bases, you know, for a split second, I allowed myself to just kind of look up and enjoy the moment and, you know, just celebrate kind of inside. And I sat on the bench and kind of same thing. I just tried to capture the smells, you know, the, the salty sweat taste that I had in my mind, just everything that I could possibly try to bottle up so that I could think back on this and say, you know what, that was pretty cool. Makes sense. You know, after reading the book this weekend, David, I, something that struck me a lot was that you really face head on a lot of the vulnerabilities that you felt as a player, whether it was you know, as a kid, you call yourself the pudgy little shortstop, all the way up until the end there, when you're fighting to get back, and all the doubts and all the things that, you know, you had to sort of deal with and learn to figure out and work around. And I'm just wondering, you know, how did you go about kind of putting that into words? How much of that did you think about wanting to share or not share? Because, you know, you, you kind of, it seemed to me anyway, that you put yourself out there a lot with those things in particular in this book. Well, I think, you know, throughout your career, or my career at least, it was always this, this, and I'm not an overly emotional person, and I know that's hard to believe considering that probably the, the lasting image of me or, images of me are crying on a baseball field, but I'm not an overly emotional person, and I think that it was my mindset, right or wrong, throughout my career that, you know, you're kind of like this, this, this robot where, you know, you, you, you don't you know, give too much, you know, you don't, um, you know, express your kind of personality, you know, very much. You're kind of, you know, you have this, this, this mentality that um, you just don't share a lot. And when writing this book, and Anthony does a great job of this, is that, you know, I, I he kind of called me out on it a little bit, was like, so what were you feeling? And I was like, what do you mean? What was I feeling? You know, I, I was kind of describing, <laughs> I was describing what, you know, I was seeing at the time not necessarily what I was feeling. And I think he did a really nice job of, um, you know, I remember he, he talked to Hojo and, you know, I got beamed in the mm-hmm. head by Matt King. And, yeah. you know, it was, it was difficult for me at the time, not because there was this, 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 this mental block that I had to defeat to get over that. And I don't remember some of the stuff that, that Hojo remembers. And after Hojo kind of talked about it and Anthony was relaying that, that information, you know, some things started coming back mentally that was like, Oh yeah, you know, that was, you know, hard for me. You know, I remember Hojo going into the the batting cages and, you know, I was, I was bailing, you know, and I wasn't scared. You know, it was more of this just natural reaction that, Hey, I don't want to get hit again. Um, And I remember Hojo taking me to the batting cage and just firing tennis balls. And I was hitting these tennis balls, hitting these tennis balls. And like one out of every five, he drilled me with it just to get used to taking a pitch. I've been hit by mm-hmm. so many pitches. They don't really hurt that much. And that's what ultimately got me through it was obviously talking with Hojo, you know, developing a game plan, but then getting hit by a pitch in a real game. And it's like, oh, that wasn't so bad. And then, you know, everything kind of clicked and mm-hmm. I felt comfortable and normal again. But yeah, so I think emotion is part of the game. And I'm glad that, you know, Anthony kind of prodded me to, you know, to talk about some of those feelings. Hmm. Knowing, knowing Dacomo. Uh, I, I, I imagine the tapes of your guys' interviews is just like four hours of you arguing. Does that sound about right? Just hour after hour of you making fun of him and then him being like, no, seriously. Uh, like what, what was that? Well, what was that process like for you? Like I imagine like you've done obviously tons of 
interviews in your career, but I, had you ever done anything like that in depth where you had to like excavate things at that? No. Level? And it was much easier. We did a, a couple in person before COVID. Um, and th- that was much easier because you're kind of like a, co- it's a conversation doing it over the phone is a lot more difficult. And that's one of the biggest kind of eye opening experiences with this was, you know, how deep you go, but also how much time you put in. And I give Anthony a ton of credit. I mentioned it earlier. He contacted childhood friends, um, minor league teammates, amateur teammates. There's a, you know, what I think is a, is a nice section in the book kind of dedicated to one of the amateur coaches that I had who just happened to be a, a scout for the Cubs. And it was like all the stars aligned where I got this coaching from a professional scout at such a young age and got this tremendous feedback and these connections that I made through him. Um, so just, he did, he did an excellent job, but yeah, we, I mean, there was some, I mean, baseball in general, and you guys know this is the clubhouse is like elementary school where you make fun of the people you like. And it's this, you know, <laughs> it's this back and forth. And Anthony and I are the same thing where, um, you know, he gives it to me, I give it back, but that's how we show our appreciation for one another. So, uh, yes, I, I think we probably could have cut down the hours on the actual book. Had we not kind of argued like, a a bit of a married couple for, for a couple hours here and there. It was like every afternoon, man, like the doors would open and I'd look on that corner. If you were there, it was just you two screaming at each other. It's like, how's anyone get any work or done around here? Thank yeah. God. Um, yeah. <laughs> like one of the things that I, I thought was super cool is that you, you talked about the world baseball classic experience a lot here. And could you just run through sort of the guys that, that you got tight with there and some of the things that you were able to take away uh, from those experiences? It was obviously more than one tournament, but could you just go through some of the dudes that, that left the mark on you there? I mean, it, it, it first showed me that Curtis Granderson's probably the greatest human being alive. Um, I got to know Curtis fairly well. Um, you know, one of the, the biggest thrills for me was, you know, playing next to, 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 to Derek um, Jeter for, you know, a few weeks and, and trying to pick his brain. I'm fairly certain that uh, I annoyed the ever living crap out of him just by following him around. I was probably like a lost puppy. You know, he'd he'd go to the cage. <laughs> he'd go to the cage. I'd follow him to the cage. You know, I'd try to understand, learn things from his routine. He's very routine oriented. Um, I was lucky enough to go out to dinner with him a couple times, and you know, I'm sure he wanted to turn it off and talk about anything other than baseball. And I just wanted to like continue to pepper him with questions about, you know, this and that. And I'm fairly certain he got, he got tired of me, but um, Chipper Jones is another, um, you know, I think I go into this in the book a little bit, but you know, one of my, I made it moments was, you know, growing up in Southeast Virginia, the Braves games are always on. So, you know, I grew up, you know, watching the Braves on TV, although I wasn't, you know, a Braves fan. I was a, I was a Mets fan because of our AAA affiliate, but um, my first Braves game, you know, Chipper Jones is playing third base. My counterpart, is Chipper Jones. And it's like, oh man, you know, this is, this is real. Um, and then Chipper goes on to bash me when I win my first gold glove. And I was like, oh my God, you know, right. you know, one of the guys that I look up to is bashing <laughs> me, you know, and, and, and then getting a chance to know Chipper at the world baseball classic was, uh, was super cool. We've been in the same fantasy football league for about 10 years now. So I try to, I try to beat him down as much as I can for those comments about my gold glove. So, um, those are just a few, I became lifelong friends with Dustin Joya. Um, over the world baseball classic. So, you know, those are some pretty cool friendships, you know, to forge over that two, three, four week period. 
Wait, is this like a is this an all third baseman fantasy football league? No, it's it's kind of like a well besides uh, Chipper, it's like a real has been. And the sad part about this fantasy football league was, um, I think Brian McCann was the last active player. So we started this when we all thought we were like killing it in, in our prime, and you know now it's like <laughs> all these like has been. You go through the list, and it's like uh, you know it's it's. Um, Chipper, me, I'm, I'm going to miss a few, but Eric Hinsky puts the league on, um, Dan, uh, Dan Ugla, Ben Sheets, Brad Lidge. Um, yeah. Oh, it, man. All I can see, I can just see all you guys wearing like affliction t-shirts in 2009, oh, God. just being on top of the world, being like, this is going to last forever, guys. <laughs> Bedazzled oh, jeans no. and cowboy boots, oh, just being man. like, "This is uh, the world is ours." And the boys. next thing we know, we're wearing oh. jeans that are three sizes too small, like you. <laughs> Got him. There you go. There you go. I was waiting for there that. That was fi- hey, those 15 are minutes skinny, skinny in. If you're scoring at home, 15 minutes in. Um, is there anybody that slighted you that you didn't make up with? Right, because like Chipper said, those things you guys are pals. I think Jimmy Rollins pissed you off with those comments back in the day about you know, the team to beat stuff. You guys became close after the World Baseball Classic. I mean, I think you're even friends with the guy that you hit with the sandwich in the lunchroom in middle school. <laughs> but is there like somebody that like, and you didn't have to? I know you're not going to name a name or whatever, but like, is there actually people in baseball you don't like or that you know don't like you? That's a good question. Um... I was really upset with Chase uh, Utley, you know, after the, yeah. the, the Ruben Tata slide. Um, and I, and that's one thing that I take a lot of pride in that if I'm going to say something publicly, I'm going to say it to your face, whether it's my teammate or opponent or whatever. And Chase knew exactly how I felt about that. And I've run into Chase numerous times, mm-hmm. you know, since then. And, you know, I certainly respect him as a, as a man, you know, as a player. Um, but I, you know, I, there was no backing down and, and, and he gave me his side. I gave him my side and, you know, I wouldn't say it was, you know, we were in each other's face yelling and screaming, but, but it was, you know, we had our words and we gave each other's side. And then I was like, okay, we're going to agree to disagree and move on. And, and I certainly, I don't dislike Chase one bit. I, I appreciate the way he plays the game. Um, you know, I've talked to guys that are his teammates that swear that he's, he's the best teammate out there. And, I enjoy being around Chase since I've been, you know, out of, out of the game. I enjoy being around Chase, but that's probably the most kind of mad that I've been um, on a baseball field. And, you know, I, I, I had to get it off my chest and, and I appreciated Chase for, for listening, understanding my side of it, giving me his side of it. And, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, we just kind of left it saying kind of, we agree to disagree and, you know, let's move on. But there's certainly, um, you know, other than, you know, the, the outcome of, you know, Ruben Tejada, you know, being hurt and, and not being able to continue the series. You know, I think that, you know, kind of getting that off of our chest, uh, you know, I respected it, it for him and I respect him even more as a player now and a person. And hopefully he feels the same. D- did that conversation happen like during the series or, or down the road? A little bit of both, a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, he, he called to check in on, on Ruben, which I thought was, was classy after the game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, um, he asked for Ruben's number. I didn't feel comfortable giving it. So I asked, you know, I passed his number along to Ruben. I don't know if they ever connected mm-hmm. or not, but, um, mm-hmm. yeah, right, right away, you know, he immediately w- called to check in on Ruben to see how he was doing. And, you know, we kind of talked about it then, 
you know, we, we talked about it a little bit afterwards. And, and again, um, you know, I think that animosity, you know, having that kind of pent up animosity is no good for anybody. So that's why I always try to confront mm. people to the, to their face, you know, like, uh, let, let's talk about it. Like, I want to hear what you're thinking. You hear, you know, you have, you listen to what I have to say and, you know, we may not agree on things, but at least have the discussion. And, you know, that's why, um, you know, I have that type of respect for Chase because he was always willing, you know, to listen and, you know, we not, we didn't agree, but at least we, mm-hmm. we heard each other out. You know, with, with Chase, like Andy wrote that story with him. Uh, you know, he talked about going to City Field after that incident and, and it was brutal. Um, and David, you touched on it too. And, 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 you know, I, I think of all the games I've ever covered in my career, that is the one time like, and it stands above all the rest where I, I could feel like the anger coming from the fans. I could feel the vitriol coming from the fans. Like, what was your recollection of that? And did you think that that Chase was going to end up catching some of the flack that he caught that night? And, and, and it wasn't in good fun, by the way. There was some really scary stuff going on there. Like, did you, did you see that coming knowing this fan base? I mean, yes, I think that's what makes New York. And I'm not talking about, you know, if there were threats or anything beyond the booing or mm-hmm. i mean that's obviously unacceptable that's like, right. you know I'm, you know that you draw the line there but i think that's what make makes new york new york is that you know they have their home teams back i mean look at the example for pete o'brien my last game i flew out to pete o'brien routine fly ball <laughs> you know, easy easy play he catches it and this poor guy gets Boot off the field the rest of the game for just catching a routine fly ball. <laughs> and I mean, that's what makes it so great. And, and, you know, Chase Utley's obviously, you know, there was, you know, that was probably a good ribbing for the Pete O'Brien thing. The Chase Utley thing, you know, was, you know, more serious. And, and, you know, from what I understand, you know, there was obviously some, some lines crossed with threats, you know, to both him and his family. And that's unacceptable. No, no question. Um, you know, but that's what makes New York and that's what gives us such a home field advantage is that, you know, they care and they're going to let you know how they feel. I mean, it, that boo must have lasted five minutes when they announced him, yeah. you know, on, on the line at City Field. And um, and the the flip of that is when Ruben came out with his crutches, you know, that place went bonkers. And, you know, it was kind of cool to, um, you know, hear the ovation that Ruben got and, um, you know, just how much they care for their players and, and you know, how they're going to have – you know, our backs at home. I always thought it was interesting, you know, like when I was covering the Dodgers, his teammates talk like Clayton Kershaw, you know, like those guys, they would talk about Chase Utley the way that your teammates talked about you in a way. And like maybe not in terms of the, uh, you know, Chase was always sort of pushing the envelope in terms of where the, the rule book was on various things, but like in the way that he was kind of the model for everything that they wanted to do like as a club. And I always found that just interesting how, how similar like the, the comments would be, you know, like how, how teams kind of try to take on the personality of like the, the most respected people in the room. Oh, no question. And, and, you know, there's a guys in that Dodger clubhouse that, you know, I consider great friends and that I have a ton of respect for, you know, Justin Turner comes to mind. And I remember asking Justin, you know, about chase. And I mean, JT's face lit up and he could not say enough great things about, you know, Chase as a, as a person, as a teammate, as a leader. And I was like, you know what, that's, you hear it so many times, it's obviously got to be true. And, and, and that's why, you know, I keep going back to the fact that, you know, we may have had our rivalry and, you know, 
there might be a play or two here that I'm like, you know what, Chase, I don't agree with. But at the end of the day, you know, I respect him for having the respect that his teammates had for him and the admiration that his teammates continue to have for him because I've only heard amazing things about him as a teammate. You know, obviously as a player, I played against him for, and I think we used to do these polls, um, you know, these anonymous polls where, um, you know, they'd come up and say, you know, who's the worst umpire, who's the most overrated uh-huh. player, who's the most underrated player. And my underrated player every year was Chase Utley with the Phillies because I don't think he ever got the, the, the recognition that he deserved, even being a, you know, a, a Hall of Fame caliber player because, you know, it just seemed like he always was never got that, 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 that recognition that he deserved for being as great as he was on the field. David, you, you've touched on this a little bit. It's, it's been five years now, but when I say 2015, what are some of the images that come flooding back to you? Um, you know, that, that's a good question because I went through kind of the spectrum of emotions that year, you know, everything from, um, you know, going into spring training with, um, you know, one of my good friends and a guy that I looked up to growing up, Michael Kadira as a teammate for the first time. Um, you know, we got down to Port St. Lucie so early and trained together. And, um, you know, from there, you know, my, my back starting to bother me ultimately, you know, having a hamstring issue you know, thinking that, okay, this is good for my back. So give me a couple of weeks from both my hamstring, and my back to, to kind of rest and, and heal itself. And then my back getting worse and worse, getting the diagnosis, you know, and, and the, the stages of emotions after that diagnosis from, you know, hanging your head and feeling sorry for yourself and moping around, which is not my character. You know, I, 24 hours, 48 hours after the diagnosis, you know, I had this, why me feel sorry for yourself attitude. And that turned into anger you know, I'm, I'm supposed to be in my prime, you know, we're supposed to have a good squad, you know, why now, why me, you know, this anger, and then turned into this amazing challenge where, you know, the mantra was don't let this diagnosis define you as a, as a player or a person. And ultimately it ended my career, but, you know, at the time it's, I'm going to overcome this, you know, these, you know, everybody else whose career it ended, you know, didn't put in the work that I'm going to put in to, to, to beat this. And that was my mindset. So, you know, going from that mindset to the hard, you know, the hard work that I put in, you know, watching, I was doing my, my rehab with a specialist out in, on the West coast and watching the, the games every night at four o'clock, just pump me up for the next day of rehab. Cause we were hanging in there. We were grinding, we were fighting and scratching and clawing, you know, staying in contention. And then finally making back in this like sense of, pride and that I've accomplished this amazing goal of, of coming back from this diagnosis and being a small part of, of the reason that, you know, we ultimately made it to the world series, won the national league. So, um, you know, it, 2015 was incredibly special because of the result, but getting to that result for me was even more special having, having been through what I went through that entire summer with the diagnosis and the rehab and everything else. You know, the next year, obviously that did not end well. And, um, it was very difficult. And, and you talk about this, the game in, in Colorado, you're off. Um, I think you're on Terry Collins to go hit, right? The club's behind, needed a bat. You saw the situation, you're all over it. I think you got heated up, went in, went in there and hit, but that ended up kind of being the, the thing that started it going the wrong direction. And, and I'm wondering, like, in retrospect, was there ever a point there early on where you got a sense that, oh, no, this is real trouble, you know, like that this could be a thing that isn't just 
uh, going to impact you in the short term, but that it could like make a serious impact uh, on your career moving forward. Yeah, I think so. I mean, the amount of time that it took, and this probably was a combination of both physically and mentally that I had to put in in order for me to feel ready to go play baseball. You know, it, it was so long and it took so much time that trying to like pinch hit on the spot, I, I knew that it, that, that it, it wouldn't be good for me, you know, but at the time, you know, I think there was like me and like maybe two lefties on the bench were facing the Rockies. Um, the closers left-handed, you know, and, and Terry, you know, has somebody else, like one of the lefties getting loose. And I'm like, Terry, this doesn't make sense. Like if I can't go up there and, you know, this is, this has got to be my spot. You know, you can't have a lefty go face lefty on lefty with the closer with, with the game on the line. And he's like, yeah, but you haven't gotten your warmups. I said, yeah, but the, you know, I, I can't, I can't, you know, I can't, this can't happen. You know, I can't be sitting here and do nothing with, 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 with this situation. So he said, you think you can do it? I said, well, you know, we'll, we'll, let's give it a try. So he did it. Um, you know, it was one of my scheduled days off, so I hadn't really done much. So I get up there, you know, I, I, I think I ground out and, um, you know, I, and I don't think I could play like the next day or maybe the day after that or something because, mm-hmm. you know, because I got, you know, I, I didn't put in the time that, that I, I needed to put in to get loose. So, you know, I, I knew that this was going to be an uphill challenge for me, you know, with the, with the trying to get ready with the, the work that needed to be put in, you know, but, you know, I think mentally for me, it was always just, okay, you know, it'll get better, you know, it's, but it wasn't like a hamstring strain or it wasn't, you know, I'll take two weeks off and you're back to new, you know, it was this thing that's constantly going to be with, be with me for not just my, the rest of my career, but for the rest of my life. And, you know, I, it took me a long time to come to terms with that, you know, but, um, you know, your mind is such a powerful weapon that, you know, I always told myself it's going to get better. You know, one day you're going to wake up and it's going to be back to normal type deal. And, and, um, you know, I guess that was just the, 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 the competitor, I guess, in me. How, uh, like, how are you feeling these days physically? I mean, I still go through, I mean, it's not nearly, you know, the length that I put in while I was playing, but every morning, the first thing I do when I get up, um, is go through my back routine. I mean, it's, it takes about an hour, hour, 15 minutes, but, um, you know, I go through it and again, you know, I'm not sure if it's both mentally and physically or, you know, one's more than the other, but I, I do it every, I do it six days a week. I take Sundays off, but, um, I do it every morning and, you know, there's good days, there's bad days. Um, you know, it flares up every now and then and I just have to be aware that when it does that, I have to be very careful with, with what I do physically and kind of go from there. But, um, you know, there, I, I still do the, you know, very similar routine and, and, you know, I have to stay on top of it. How's your golf game? Well, terrible because <laughs> what I just mentioned that I, I can't do, you know, I, 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 I found that for me, I needed something that allows me to compete um, and, and work and get better. And, you know, I've always had an interest in golf. I never really played that much until, you know, after I was done and still, I can't play nearly as much as I want because of my back. I have to be very aware that, you know, I can go play on good days, you know, even the, the okay or bad days. I, I, I can't do anything. Maybe I'll go like putt on the putting green for a little bit or something to, to get some practice in. But, um, I have to be very aware because that, that sets me back. There was, uh, I've had a couple of times where I think I pushed the envelope a little bit and, you know, my back really flared up and I was, you know, kind of done doing anything for, for a week or two at a time. So I have to be very, 
very cognizant of how my back's feeling. Now, I only mentioned it because I think you'd mentioned that in the book, like uh, getting out there a little bit, which I thought was good. Like it sounded. Yeah, like... it is. I I love it. I mean, I because it, yeah. it allows me it allows me to compete, and it's not really against anybody. It's against myself, and I, I mm-hmm. enjoy that, and I enjoy being outside, and I enjoy, you know, the just competing against the course or, you know, trying to learn something new. And, you know, I, I really enjoy it. And, um, you know, hopefully my back cooperates so I can continue to, you know, enjoy it occasionally. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. What do you miss, David, now that you're done playing? Like, when you look back, um, what are the things that you actually miss about going through all that every day? I miss the camaraderie. Um, You know, it's like you have 24 brothers for the summer, and you're not going to get along with everybody, but, you know, you you find a way to kind of everybody pull on the same side of that rope. Uh, I miss competing. I miss the game within the game. Uh, I miss preparing, looking at video, trying to, you know, figure out if, you know, a guy likes a certain pitch and a certain count. Um, I enjoy win, or I, I miss winning. I miss, um, you know, getting the best of, you know, the, the Phillies or the Marlins or the Braves or the Nationals. I miss, you know, those big wins, those celebrations. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that I miss. Um, probably the only thing I don't miss is how I felt physically. So, yeah, I certainly miss it. And I think um, I enjoy being around it kind of on a part-time basis. I was lucky enough where the Mets kind of bring me back for a week in spring training. And, you know, I went to not this year, but the previous year I went to New York for kind of a week here, a week there. So being around it kind of gets my juices flowing again, get a chance to talk some baseball and even talking to you guys, you know, just talking baseball. I really enjoy, um, you know, I enjoy doing a little bit of instructing with the younger infielders or the hitters, or, you know, I had a nice hitting hitting kind of talk session with the minor league hitting coaches this spring, you know, that's the stuff that I really miss. Do you miss going like two for five with two RBIs and then having to explain to the media afterward why the offense just isn't getting things done? Um, I wish there were some more two for fives mixed in there. That's for sure. Because uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess yeah. Yeah, so I wish there uh. were some more. I wish there were some more. Uh, yeah, I wish that I could say that you know that uh, you know I had more two for fives in my career. That's for sure. Yeah, uh, you said you said earlier that you know you you were you didn't really like to show your personality i guess but i always you always were like very engaging with us you know it's not like you'd be like oh yeah here here's a story i told my dad the other day but you always were very like professional pretty upfront. like how how important was that to you and how important do you think it is just for you know players at large to sort of take that approach uh when they're kind of you know talking to the press and through us to the to the fans i guess yeah i mean i think that there's nothing wrong with with showing some personality there's certainly not um you know i think that um you know there's a good balance between acting and carrying yourself professionally but also you know letting fans in the media get a glimpse of 
who you are, you know, what, what you're all about. You know, I think that that's kind of what makes this game so great. Um, you know, especially now where I feel like players express themselves, you know, whether it's on social media or publicly or whatever, you're getting to know players for who they are, you know, what makes them tick. Um, and that's cool because, you know, where else are you going to find, you know, like, like Jose Reyes and I, where else are you going to find, you know, two completely different people, relatively same age, you know, one from the Dominican public, one from Chesapeake, Virginia. Um, I don't speak Spanish at the time, you know, he didn't speak, you know, great English, which I always gave him, you know, a ton of crap for, um, you know, we eat different foods. We listen to different types of music. We, um, you know, he does, you know, Spanish rap music videos. I, you know, listen to country and rock, you know, it's like, but we bonded and became like these, this had this brother type relationship through baseball. And that's what kind of makes, you know, this game so cool. So, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 I think that there's a, a balance to be had for sure where you have to act professionally, but also, you know, let, let everybody get a glimpse of who, who you are and what you're all about. Uh, speaking of Jose, do, do you still have the clothes from the GQ shoot? <laughs> See, I thought we almost made it this entire time without talking about that. <laughs> <laughs> did you honestly think that that was going to go uh, unasked in this session? Did you really think that, given you know, it's the funny, two people whether, asking the questions? Whether it's like my brothers or some friends, like once a month or so, I'll get like a text. And like, you know, the the, bu- the bubbles, you know, like the bubbles when you know, a picture's coming in, it's like forming, and I'm like, here we go. And it's like one of the GQ pictures. But I'll ask <laughs> you, let me flip it on you, how many times have you and Andy been in GQ magazine? That's a fair point. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, that's a, a fair point. point. So, we can play this game all day. Neither <laughs> of us have been to Japan and eaten chicken wings but at you know the freaking you know uh, you know Hard Rock cool Cafe about, either. I'll say this about the GQ shoot. Like, Jose Reyes looks great. You know, that's the kind of clothes he wore anyway. And it's easy, easier to dress a mannequin that's, you know, in great shape and has a six-pack and, you know, you know, put tight clothes on them. But try doing it for, like, a, a six-foot, you know, 200-pound, slightly round you know, with some love handles, you know, putting those tight clothes on that and see how uncomfortable I felt. So that was, that was a very eye-opening experience for me to, uh, you know, kind of wear those clothes. And, you know, they were like, do you want to keep them? And I'm like, for what? No. (laughs) (laughs) You know, but it was, it still was cool being in, in, in GQ. (laughs) Try yeah, you should try trying to look fashionable when you're six three and somewhere between two twenty five and two fifty pounds, depending on how many bagels you had that morning. It's not as not as easy as you uh, think. You look great. Every time I see you, you're looking more and more dapper. <laughs> I mean, it's really not much anyway. Like that's not the highest bar, but uh, like how, how did you know? I and I I thought about this a lot when I was covering the team and covering you. Um, the amount of media that you did you know, in any given season was overwhelming. Um, and I can't recall you once ever, you know, turning a story, giving an extra day to a story. You know, like in New York, there's like one day story, two day story, three day story. And sometimes those stories get extended because someone says something wrong. Someone says something that adds fuel to the fire or whatever. And I cannot remember you doing that once. Um, so I guess, like, how, how did you pull that off, man? All those years here, all those questions. And uh, it, it, it felt like you had such a good handle on that. 
Well, I, pr- I appreciate that. that I mean, I, I, that's certainly a, a compliment because that's, you know, something that, you know, especially in New York can become a major distraction over the course of a, a long season. Um, I'd like to think it was because if I had an issue with, you know, if, if somebody did something or said something, you know, I'd just confront them directly. I would never, you know, confront somebody through the media. Uh, you know, I think that that's just, um, it's a silly way of doing things. So, um, you know, the, I think you were there for the, the, the Noah, Noah Syndergaard thing where, um, you know, I got on him for being in the the clubhouse during one of our inner squads. It was, you know, a, a rule of ours that, you know, all the players are on the bench during the inner squad, even if it was spring training. Well, Noah got a little hungry and went and got lunch, you know, in the middle of the, um, the inner squad. And I, I came in from the inner squad, you know, having been taken out of the game to put, you know, my tennis shoes on and I see him there and, you know, I got on him, but in a way that, you know, you're getting on somebody, but you're also trying to teach them that, you know, this is the way that we're going to change the culture here. This is going to be kind of the winning culture type thing. And, you know, hopefully when you're in a position where you're a leader, you would do the same thing to, to a younger player. Well, I didn't realize at the time that the media was in there interviewing the starting pitcher um, over in the corner, you know, where they could hear me. I couldn't see them when I was getting on Noah and it became a big story. And I was very apologetic to Noah, not on the substance, but you know, that I did it within earshot of the media. So, you know, those are the types of things where I'd like to think that if there was a, a bit of an issue or a bit of a, you know, a, a problem in the clubhouse that we handled things internally as players and we settle it so that it wasn't a story the next day. Um, but that's an example of how, you know, I messed up, you know, in, you know, not realizing the situation, but, you know, we usually did the opposite of that. I guess, I guess is what I'm getting at. How uh, how soon after uh, Bob Parnell threw out Syndergaard's lunch did you guys realize? You know that that's cool. I, I, I haven't heard like Bob. I like I, Bob Parnell. Bob. That, that's, uh, <laughs> okay, I miss Bobby. Too. I, I, I miss Bobby. Bobby Parnell. I really like you Bobby. Know, he, I, yeah, he really he, was. He's a really and, nice guy. Um, you know, I haven't spoken to to Bob in a while, so I'm gonna have to shoot him a text after this. But um, I didn't realize it until I think Mark <laughs> might have been Mark. You were in the clubhouse, right? <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah, but you, I want to hear you your version. Me, but walk walk through it for me, please. Uh, well, yeah, we'll I compare think notes. Mark, Mark came up and asked me about it, and I was like, "How did he know about this?" Like, I still didn't realize, <laughs> and it caught me off guard. And I don't even know what I said. I think I tried maybe avoid it. Like, I don't even know what I said. You but, played it cool. Uh, you, know, you played it cool. I, I you acted flustered. as if I knew I was coming over there. But go on. Yeah, I was I was flustered because I didn't know. I still didn't know that that. Um, the media had heard that. And then I think maybe after you, somebody else came up and then it was like, you know, I gotta, I gotta figure this out. Like what, what happened? Who, who, you know, did somebody tell them, you know, and then I found out that, you know, that, that you guys were in there already doing another interview. So, you know, I tried to, uh, to, um, you know, figure out the, you know, the right thing to do by Noah. But, um, yeah, that was, uh, that was an interesting day and a good learning experience for me because, uh, you know, you never want to embarrass a teammate like that publicly. See, I felt bad because you wrote that that was, you know, like you just said here, it was a mistake you made as a leader. Like you're a team captain at that point, and and I'm reading that and I'm going, you just caught a shitty break, because like so let's walk through it. Number one, Zach Wheeler was being interviewed in the corner. Is of the that what it was? House. It was Zach and the, Wheeler, and the yeah. pitchers and the pitchers' corner is around the corner. Yes. from where we come in from the dugout. Yes, correct. Like so, it's not an easy. There's not like a straightforward view. So Wheeler's in there. It's during the game. Okay. 
which we normally, like during the regular season and pretty much any other time of the year, we're not in there during a game. So we're in there during a game. Wheeler's talking. It's a giant scrum. I happen to be on the side that can see where Noah's eating. And so we're talking, and out of the corner of my eye, I hear you talking to Noah. And I've covered you enough to know when you're kidding around and when you're not. And I remember thinking, oh, shit, he's not kidding around. And Noah wasn't quite getting it. Because like, like, I'm sure you busted his balls a lot, but in that moment, I don't think he was quite registering that he was actually in a little bit of trouble. And right then, Bobby comes up from behind, picks the plate up, and throws it in the trash. So now, look from the media perspective, my first thing is like, oh, shit, I hope nobody else saw this. Okay? Because I was pretty sure I was the only one that did at that moment. I later found out someone else had, but hadn't quite known what to do with that. Like he was sort of afraid to ask what happened. Okay? He was kind of a less experienced person. And he asked me, it's like, oh, I don't know, man. I didn't see anything. But the first thing I did is go, go to your locker, go to Bobby's, go to Noah's. And like to everybody's credit involved there, like you guys are all professional and straightforward or whatever. Um, you wrote that I tweeted out play-by-play of the incident, which is true, but not until the clubhouse was closed. Like, I wouldn't, like, like, think about that, dude. What, am I going to tell everybody what I saw? Oh, go, and then you're going to run over to the loggers and ask people? No, 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 no. I waited until that thing was closed. Then I tweeted out the play-by-play. But, like, the, the long story short is, man, you caught a bad break. That's all. Like, I felt like all of you guys did. It was just, like, random timing, honestly. Well, you know what would have been, been a worse break is if Noah just absolutely beat me down in front of everybody. would have been the, the, the worst break. So... <laughs> You know, I mean, yeah, I'm glad that I would have had back issues well before, you know, I really had back issues. So I'm just that glad that true. Noah took it in stride. Yeah, Syndergaard could have treated you like yeah. Bane treated Batman and just sort of yeah. you know, snapped yeah, your back over about his that knee. Before. You could have been the next person in the, in the trash can right after the lunch. Had gone <laughs> that, the other that's way. true. But I also had a bat in my hands because I was coming out of the game. So, you know, maybe he saw the bat too and, uh, you know, and thought twice. <laughs> I don't know. I might still take Noah on that one, but um, <laughs> like, how much did it help that it was DeComo that you worked with on this book, David? Like, I mean, this is a guy, and and like I, I'm gonna regret saying this, but like, you know, I, I think Tony does a great job, and and has for a long time, and and I've watched him work the room. He knows how to. Uh, to be clear, Mark <laughs> does not speak for this podcast. Speaking on my own, um, uh, Mark. Mark does not speak for this podcast, the athletics. <laughs> yeah, so now the disclaimer is out there. The um, you know, how much did it help that it was someone that, that you could trust and had, I mean, a really long-standing relationship with? Yeah, I, I think that it would have been a, probably a no-go on my part, um, other than a select few people that I've gotten to know throughout my career, and that you know, obviously, you trust and know that's going to, you know, represent you the way that you want to be represented in. Um, I liked the fact that, that this was his his first book because I knew the work that he was going to put in. Um, you know, I knew that, you know, as boring as I was sometimes to cover, as you, you know, so gracefully mentioned in the opening, that, um, you know, that he was going to do his part to, to make this as good as possible and put in the work. And, um, you know, and, and I certainly wasn't let down. I'm going to, you know, regret this too because, uh, you know, I, I like to talk a lot of trash to Tony, but 
um, he did a, he did a wonderful job and, um, you know, I, I really commend him and, and applaud him for, for the effort because he, he, he gave it his all and really put a lot more time in than he had to, to, to try to make this perfect. How far down <laughs> on that list was Kareem? Well, he, was, he was, he was big time. He might've charged me to write the book. So, you know, he was <laughs> at the time he was, you know, big time yeah. and, you know, national and this and that. So, uh, you know, it's, uh. Yeah, yeah I, I, I probably couldn't afford Fordham at that time. So, what would have happened? Would have happened faster had you had yeah, no like one talked to you and I'd seen it. How bad would your? Uh, <laughs> yeah. I just wonder, you know, like how bad would your vitamin water investments have had to be for you to need <laughs> the money to do a book with Corinne? Yeah, like I would have needed instead of that little little small percentage point that I had, I would have needed like a lot more vitamin water money <laughs> to be able to afford him to 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 write my my story. You know, b- b- <laughs> before uh, we let you go. And by the way, thank you. So this is so much fun, man. It, it's like good to hear your voice. It's good to catch up again. Um, you know, at, at the end of the book, like you, you kind of are looking forward and, and uh, I think you'd left it off as like, you, you know, you weren't quite sure what direction it would go yet, that you'd enjoy being with your family and kind of figure it out from there. And kind of wondering, you know, since, you know, writing the book and now to this point where it's starting to get it out there. Like what, what is your kind of thought about where you see yourself, what you see yourself doing moving forward here? Cause it, it seemed to me like, it seems to me anyway that you're someone with a lot of options in front of him. So where are you on that? You know, that, that's, that's an excellent question. I don't think I've quite figured it out yet. Um, you know, we talked about it. I don't think that coaching or managing is for me. Um, at least on a, you know, a, you know, a, a significant level. Um, you know, I enjoy the part-time instructing part, especially with the younger players. Um, you know, I enjoy uh, the the few times I've gotten a chance to be in the room with with front office and ownership and, you know, how they view putting a team together as opposed to, you know, what little I can offer um, of putting a team together. You know, I think that, um, and this is just solely my opinion, is, is – you know, we've gotten into such an analytical age of baseball, and I think that that's great. But sometimes the personality and the character of the player is overlooked. And I think that when you're around these guys more than you're around your family over the course of the summer, that there's something to be said for putting the right mix and the right type of people together to try to establish that winning culture and, and to establish playing winning baseball. And I think that that's something that, um, you know, I can bring to the table. Um, you know, but again, um, as far as that goes, it's going to have to be, uh, you know, all kind of a part-time role for me because, you know, I owe it to, to the kids and, 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 you know, my wife to, you know, be here and to be present and, you know, to give them kind of what, what they deserve that, what I had growing up, you know, with, um, you know, that kind of family, family atmosphere. So, um, I don't know, <laughs> I really don't, um, you know, I, I want to find something you know, that keeps me driven, keeps me competitive, but I also want to find something that I'm passionate about. And I'm obviously passionate about baseball. So, you know, I get a chance to kind of do the baseball part and then get away from it for a little while. And then when I get thirsty again for it, do it again. So that's been cool for now. So I don't know what the future holds, but you know, hopefully something to do with, um, you know, certainly have some sort of role in baseball. 
Would you like to co-host a podcast with <laughs> me? When we I've used kind of all my one-liners that I have, so I'm kind of a one-trick pony when it comes to this. So you know, <laughs> yeah, I, I, g- I gave it everything I had today, and you yeah. know, it probably wasn't good enough, but that's all I got. So um, you know, I certainly wouldn't come on for round two because I'd be exploited for you know not not having any more you know original one-liners. So my apologies. Yeah. Oh my God. Like, right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. You got to cap every interview with five minutes because you just run out of juice. You know, I yeah. again, speaking just for myself and not for this podcast, let's get that out of the way. Um, you know, you're one of my favorite people to cover in all the years I've done this. And, um, you know, I remember kind of at the end there, like you were you were cool enough to let me visit you down in St. Lucie um, as you were kind of trying to get back. And I, we probably talked for like 45 minutes. And I remember walking away from that thinking like how open and honest you were about where you were at and that, that it was like, it meant a lot to me that you were like comfortable enough to share that. And so it, it you know, reading the book, it reminded me of that. It was that kind of same thing. And just even just talking here, um, same feeling. And it, it, it's a fun thing. So you know, I just wanted to thank you again and, and, you know, wish you luck, and, and surely we'll see you down the road. But, but thanks again, David. Thank, thanks for coming on, man. This was fun. Yeah, thanks, guys. That was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. Hey, if you're not a subscriber, please go to theathletic.com slash beyond the scrum. You can get a subscription for just $1 a month. Hey, have a good one.